Section 45 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D section forty five appendix three part four harrison after enumerating the queen's palaces adds but what shall i need to take upon me to repeat all and to tell what houses the queen's majesty's hath sith all is hers and when it pleaseth her in the summer season to recreate herself abroad and view the estate of the country and hear the complaints of her poor commons injured by her unjust officers or their substitutes every nobleman's house is her palace where she continueth during pleasure and tell her an entertainment in kenilworth castle which was extraordinary for expense and magnificence among other particulars we are told that three hundred and sixty-five hogsheads of beer were drunk at it the earl had fortified this castle at great expense and it contained arms for ten thousand men the earl of derby had a family consisting of two hundred and forty servants stowe remarks it as a singular proof of beneficence in this nobleman that he was contented with his rent from his tenants and exacted not any extraordinary services from them a proof that the great power of the sovereign what was almost unavoidable had very generally countenanced the nobility in tyrannizing over the people. Burley, though he was frugal and had no paternal estate, kept a family consisting of a hundred servants. He had a standing table for gentlemen and two other tables for persons of meaner condition, which were always served alike whether he were in town or in country. About his person he had people of great distinction insomuch that he could reckon up twenty gentlemen retainers who had each a thousand pounds a year and as many among his ordinary servants who were worth from a thousand pounds to three five ten and twenty thousand pounds it is to be remarked that though the revenues of the crown were at that time very small the ministers and courtiers sometimes found means by employing the boundless prerogative to acquire greater fortunes than it is possible for them at present to amass from their larger salaries and more limited authority. Burley entertained the queen twelve several times in his country house, where she remained three, four, or five weeks at a time. Each visit cost him two or three thousand pounds. The quantity of silver plate possessed by this nobleman is surprising, no less than fourteen or fifteen thousand pounds weight, which, besides the fashion, would be above forty-two thousand pounds sterling in value. Yet Burley left only four thousand pounds a year in land, and eleven thousand pounds in money, and as land was then commonly sold at ten years' purchase, this plate was nearly equal to all the rest of his fortune. It appears that little value was then put upon the fashion of the plate, which probably was but rude, the weight was chiefly considered. But though there were preserved great remains of the ancient customs, the nobility were, by degrees, 
acquiring a taste for elegant luxury, and many edifices in particular were built by them, neat, large, and sumptuous, to the great ornament of the kingdom, says Camden, but to the no less decay of the glorious hospitality of the nation. It is, however, more reasonable to think that this new turn of expense promoted arts and industry, while the ancient hospitality was the source of vice, disorder, sedition, and idleness. Among the other species of luxury, that of apparel began to increase during this age, and the queen thought proper to restrain it by proclamation. Her example was very little comfortable to her edicts, as no woman was ever more conceited of her beauty, or more desirous of making impression on the hearts of beholders. No one ever went to greater extravagance in apparel, or studied more the variety and richness of her dresses. She appeared almost every day in a different habit, and tried all the several modes by which she hoped to render herself agreeable. She was also so fond of her clothes that she never could part with any of them, and at her death she had in her wardrobe all the different habits to the number of three thousand which she had ever worn in her lifetime. The retrenchment of the ancient hospitality and the diminution of retainers were favorable to the prerogative of the sovereign, and by disabling the great noblemen from their resistance, promoted the execution of the laws, and extended the authority of the courts of justice. There were many peculiar causes in the situation and character of Henry the Seventh, which augmented the authority of the crown. Most of these causes concurred in succeeding princes, together with the factions in religion and the acquisition of the supremacy a most important article of prerogative, but the manners of the age were a general cause which operated during this whole period and which continually tended to diminish the riches, and still more the influence of the aristocracy, anciently so formidable to the crown. The habits of luxury dissipated the immense fortunes of the ancient barons, and as the new methods of expense gave subsistence to mechanics and merchants, who lived in an independent manner on the fruits of their own industry, a nobleman, instead of that unlimited ascendant which he was wont to assume over those who were maintained at his board, or subsisted by salaries conferred on them, retained only that moderate influence which customers have over tradesmen, and which can never be dangerous to civil government. The landed proprietors, also, having a greater demand for money than for men, endeavored to turn their lands to the best account with regard to profit, and either enclosing their fields or joining many small farms into a few large ones, dismissed those useless hands which formerly were always at their call in every attempt to subvert the government or oppose a neighboring baron. By these means the cities increased. The middle rank of men began to be rich and powerful. The prince, who in effect was the same with the law, was implicitly obeyed, and though the further progress of the same causes begat a new plan of liberty, founded on the privileges of the commons, yet in the interval between the fall of the nobles and the rise of this order, the sovereign took advantage of the present situation and assumed an authority almost absolute. Whatever may be commonly imagined from the authority of Lord Bacon, and from that of Harrington and later authors, the laws of Henry the Seventh contributed very little towards the great revolution 
which happened about this period in the English Constitution. The practice of breaking entails by a fine and recovery had been introduced in the preceding reigns, and this prince only gave indirectly a legal sanction to the practice, by reforming some abuses which attended it. But the settled authority which he acquired to the crown enabled the sovereign to encroach on the separate jurisdictions of the barons, and produced a more general and regular execution of the laws. The county's palatine underwent the same fate as the feudal powers, and by a statute of Henry the Seventh, the jurisdiction of these counties was annexed to the crown, and all writs were ordained to run in the king's name. But the change of manners was the chief cause of the secret revolution of government, and subverted the power of the barons. There appear still, in this reign, some remains of the ancient slavery of the boors and peasants, but none afterwards. Learning, on its revival, was held in high estimation by the English princes and nobles, and as it was not yet prostituted by being too common, even the great deemed it an object of ambition to obtain a character for literature. The four successive sovereigns, Henry, Edward, Mary, and Elizabeth, may on one account or the other be admitted into the class of authors. Queen Catherine Parr translated a book, Lady Jane Grey, considering her age and her sex and her station, may be regarded as a prodigy of literature. Sir Thomas Smith was raised from being professor in Cambridge, first to be ambassador of France, then secretary of state. The dispatches of those times, and among others those of Burley himself, are frequently interlarded with quotations from the Greek and Latin classics. Even the ladies of the court valued themselves on knowledge. Lady Burley, Lady Bacon, and their two sisters were mistresses of the ancient as well as modern languages, and placed more pride in their erudition than in their rank and quality. Queen Elizabeth wrote and translated several books, and she was familiarly acquainted with the Greek as well as with the Latin tongue. It is pretended that she made an extemporary reply in Greek to the University of Cambridge, who had addressed her in that language. It is certain that she answered in Latin without premeditation, and in a very spirited manner to the Polish ambassador, who had been wanting in respect to her. When she had finished, she turned about to her courtiers and said, God's death, my lords, for she was much addicted to swearing. I have been forced this day to scour up my old Latin that hath long lain rusting. Elizabeth, even after she was queen, did not entirely drop the ambition of appearing as an author, and next to her desire of admiration for beauty, this seems to have been the chief object of her vanity. She translated Boethius of the Consolation of Philosophy in order as she pretended to allay her grief for Henry the Fourth's change of religion. As far as we can judge from Elizabeth's compositions, we may pronounce that, notwithstanding her application and her excellent parts, her taste in literature was but indifferent, and she was much inferior to her successor in this particular, who was himself no perfect model of eloquence. Unhappily for literature, at least for the learned of this age, the queen's vanity lay more in shining by her own learning 
than in encouraging men of genius by her liberality. Spencer himself, the finest English writer of his age, was long neglected, and after the death of Sir Philip Sidney, his patron, was allowed to die almost for want. This poet contains great beauties, a sweet and harmonious versification, easy elocution, and a fine imagination, yet does the perusal of his work become so tedious that one never finishes it from the mere pleasure which it affords. It soon becomes a kind of task-reading, and it requires some effort and resolution to carry us on to the end of his long performance. This effect, of which every one is conscious, is usually ascribed to the change of manners. But manners have more changed since Homer's age, and yet that poet remains still the favorite of every reader of taste and judgment. Homer copied true natural manners, which, however rough or uncultivated, will always form an agreeable and interesting picture. But the pencil of the English poet was employed in drawing the affectations and conceits and fopperies of chivalry, which appear ridiculous as soon as they lose the recommendation of the mode. The tediousness of continued allegory, and that too seldom striking or ingenious, has also contributed to render the fairy queen particularly tiresome, not to mention the too great frequency of its descriptions and the languor of its stanza. Upon the whole, Spencer maintains his place upon the shelves among our English classics, but he is seldom seen on the table, and there is scarcely any one, if he dares to be ingenuous, but will confess that notwithstanding all the merit of the poet, he affords an entertainment which the palate is soon satiated. Several writers of late have amused themselves in copying the style of Spencer, and no imitation has been so indifferent as not to bear a great resemblance to the original. His manner is so peculiar that it is almost impossible not to transfer some of it into the copy. End of section 45, appendix 3, part 4. Recording by Richard Carpenter in Seattle, Washington.